Well, uh, when I was 22, which was a little while ago, not that long, uh, I started what I would call my proper first job. I actually started working when I was 13. It was probably illegal at the time, looking back, but I was a landscape gardener using lots of dangerous machinery. Did that when I was 13, up to the age of 22. And then when I was 22, I started uh, like an office job. I had to be suited and booted for the first time. And it was a bit of like a testing period. I'd signed a contract with this engineering company and they were going to take me on the year after if everything went well during this trial period. And it was the first time where I had to dress up properly for work. And so I wasn't married at the time. I was on my own. And you can maybe see where this is going. But I thought I was doing well. I went out to Next, got a few shirts, got some trousers. It turned up at Lime Street Station, all pleased with myself that I'd you know, got myself ready. And a girl from my university course was also, she was going to a different office, but she was doing the same as me on an apprenticeship kind of thing. And we were going in the same direction to Warrington. And she looked at me, we said hello, and she quickly clocked my trousers. And she said, Neil, you've got your, the sticker thing. Remember this? I don't know where they still do it. Stickers down the side of your medium trousers. Leg and all that. Yeah, so the size, medium leg, whatever it is. And I still had that on my trousers. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> thankfully I saw it, ripped her off, got on the train, went to work. I thought that was the end of the story. I had a morning of induction and was presented before the team and team leader was showing me the ropes. Halfway through the day, a kind chap came up to me and said, Neil, you've got one of those sticker things on your leg, on the other side of the leg. Not only that, I had um, like some sort of cardboard thing on the, on the end of my cuff. Didn't see it at all, but obviously everyone else in the office had seen it. And to my embarrassment, exactly. First day at work, thankfully this guy... Um, intervene halfway through the day my thinking was I was going to dress to impress I wanted to make an impression on my first day and I probably did but it probably wasn't the impression that I was hoping for but nevertheless I lived it down and ended up they kept me on for another 10 years so it couldn't have been that bad I've, I've been there I've done that we've all been there we've all had those days haven't we that we wish to forget and someone thought it was a preacher because it was black. That's not a bad look to carry, Gavin. There you go. There's worse things that you could be, uh, worse things that you could be likened to. Well, anyway, last week, chapter three of Colossians, we started a couple of weeks ago, and we saw this movement in chapter three of of being dressed spiritually. Remember that last week? There's a river movement that goes on in the Christian life that starts, as we saw at the start of chapter three, with with a, a putting off, taking off something. You remember that, what that was? We put off sin. Paul, who writes this letter to the Colossians, is saying, we continue to do this. We, we, we put off sin. We recognize ways in our life in which we offend God, and we want to put those things to death. And so we put off sin. And this week, as we get into the passage, starting at verse 12, we see that we put on Christ. We put off sin, and we put on Christ. And, and this is like our spiritual Clothing. These are the new clothes that we get as Christians. As we walk in this new life that we've been given, we put off sin and we put on Christ. And that is the movement that continues throughout our Christian life. We're going to see in this passage what it looks like to put on Christ. And what we're going to see is that these clothes that we put on, they are going to make the right kind of impression in a sinful and a broken world. They're going to have a stand out for the right reasons. I was standing out for all the wrong reasons, embarrassing reasons. But when we put on Christ that has us shine bright in a world of darkness and sin. 
Well, let's read together. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12 down to verse 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the new life which you have given to your people. Thank you as we learned last week that that you have not only called us to put sin to death, but you help us to put sin to death by the power of your spirit. Thank you that the remedy for our sin is not effort and work and duty. It is your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us look to him this afternoon as we learn what it is to put him on, to, to walk in his ways, to reflect his character. A lot of this is difficult for us because we struggle still with with our old clothes. We struggle with sin. So help us again by the power of your spirit to pursue Christ-likeness. Thank you for these words. Thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would change us, transform us, conform us to be more like Jesus. We pray that in his name for his glory. Amen. Amen. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We're going to get into seeing what it is to put on Christ. But before we even get there, just just hear verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. God's people are chosen. And God's people are holy. And they are beloved. And those three words that the Apostle Paul and his apprentice Timothy have, have written there for the church in Colossae, they're just, he's not just kind of thought, okay, let's think of some nice words to describe God's people. He's using those three words deliberately, chosen ones, holy and beloved. They would have known the Colossians as they heard this letter being, uh, this letter being read out to them. When they heard those three words, they would have been taken back to the Old Testament because that's exactly what God called his people. Chosen, holy and beloved, or at least that's what God's people were supposed to be. If you were with us last year and we were going through the story of the Exodus, you will remember that that is what God told his people to be. You are my chosen people. And he calls them to be holy, set apart, and he sets his affections on them. But if you know the story of the Old Testament, you know how they struggled and stumbled and failed to be holy. But then in the New Testament, we hear those three words again. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is writing about Christ. And he says, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God's chosen one. One who is holy. One who is loved by the Father. And what we see as Peter writes is that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfills what Israel failed to do. 
He is the perfect Israel. He is the true Israel. He is the new Israel. He is God's people, a picture of God's people, the perfected people. We find in the Lord Jesus Christ, the chosen one, the one who is holy and without sin and the one who is loved by the Father. And now Paul uses those three words and he doesn't say that that is Israel. He doesn't say that that is Jesus. He says it is you, God's people. You are chosen You are holy and you are beloved. The same words the Father uses of the Son are now used for you. Chosen. Just listen to this. If you are a believer this afternoon, chosen. The Father says to you, you're mine. Just as my Son is mine. You're mine. Holy. The Father is saying to you this afternoon, you've been made clean from sin. And so you're welcome in my presence, just as my son is clean and welcome in my presence. So you are. Beloved. The Father is saying to you this afternoon, you're loved. You're loved in the same way that the Father loves the Son. With the same intensity. With the same weight. With the same power. You're chosen by the Father. You're holy in the presence of the Father, so you're welcome there. You're beloved by the Father. Listen to that this afternoon. Brother and sister in Christ, listen to the voice of the Father tell you, you're mine, you're welcome, and I love you. Daughter, you're mine, you're welcome, and I love you. Son, you're mine, you're welcome, and I love you. So whatever week you've had this week, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, hear the Father say that to you this afternoon. You're mine. You're welcome in my presence. And child, I love you just as I love my son. That is who you are. That is how the Father sees you. And so whatever is about to come next in this passage, whatever comes after verse 12, whatever we're asked to do, we don't do it because we're trying to earn the love of God. We don't do it because we're trying to work ourselves into his presence. We don't do it because we're trying to work for his favor. We do it because we're already his. We're already welcome and we're already loved. And because you are, verse 12, put on compassion, put on kindness and humility. Put on meekness. Put on patience. Compassion is that that sensitivity to the needs and difficulty of others. Kindness and humility, they're actually words that that go together and, and they're really a picture of giving up your own rights in order to bless others. Meekness, that's kindness and humility shown in how we approach others. Patience is kindness and humility in how we react to others. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. So before we go any further, let me ask you the question that this passage doesn't ask you, but it is asking you, who does that remind you of? And you can answer to this one, Gavin, please do. Who does that remind you of? Jesus. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. That's Christ. Don't miss this, folks. These new spiritual clothes that we're being told to put on, they're not our clothes. 
being a Christian isn't okay. You're in, I've dealt with your sin. Now, now be good. Try really hard to, to help other people, to, to sacrifice, to move towards other people. No, no, God isn't stupid. He knows we can't do that. So he said, here you go. Here's some clothes. Put these on. They'll fit. Try on the clothes of my son. Put on his compassion. Put on his kindness. Put on his humility, his meekness, his patience. These are Christ's clothes, not ours. See, folks, so often when we think of Christ's work at the cross, we think of how he deals with our sin. And, and he does. Last week, we remember the glory of our perfect saviour who suffers hell in our place for our sin on the cross, bringing us into eternal life through his resurrection. But the cross is so much more than that. It's not just that he deals with our sin. In his death and resurrection, yes, he pays the price for our sin. He takes the judgment for our sin, but he also gives us his righteousness. We are given the righteousness of Christ. We are given perfect standing before the Father, righteous standing before the Father. We're given a clean heart before God. That's what we might call a passive type of righteousness. We can't earn that. There's nothing we can do to to take that ourselves. God gives that righteousness to us. So right now in the presence of the Father, we are presented as we are united through Christ, holy, blameless and righteous. But we're also given the ability to live a righteous life. We're not just given righteous standing. We are given the ability by the power of the Spirit to live a righteous life before the world. What we might call an active type of righteousness. These are Christ's clothes and Christian, you are wearing them right now. The righteous robes of Christ. I want you to hear that. You are clothed in his righteousness. And I want you to hear that because the world, the flesh and the devil will tell us that we're not. Especially tomorrow morning. When we're out of this context. When we're not singing and we're not listening to God's voice through his word. And we're not around one another. We hear those whispers come at us, don't we? There's this beautiful picture in the Old Testament in a book called Zechariah. And it's a, a vision of, of one of God's people, Joshua. And, and the picture of Joshua is, literally it says that he is clothed in filthy rags. And the picture is that he's, he's really clothed in his sin and his, and his offences against God. And part of the picture is that Satan comes to Joshua and accuses him. And we all know what that feels like, don't we? When we walk out of this place and we feel the heaviness of our sin and we offend the heart of God and we hear that voice coming to us saying, you're not one of his. You're not righteous. You're not good. How can you be when you sin? How can you be when you go back to that thing again? How can you be when you speak to your wife in that way? How can you be when you entertain that sin again? You're not one of his. And in this picture in Zechariah 3, the Lord comes to one of his angels and he says, go and clothe him. Clothe him in my righteous robes. And the angel goes and clothes him and covers him. And Satan cannot bring an accusation against him. His mouth is shut against God's man. Not because Joshua is a good man. Not because he has defended himself. But because he is clothed in the righteous robes of Christ. So brother and sister, when we head out of this place this afternoon, or when you wake up tomorrow morning and you hear that voice tell her to shut up, because you are clothed 
in the righteous robes of the Lord Jesus Christ and he has no accusation against you. Amen? Amen. And you might think, well, well, what about when I sin? Because I will sin. Well, well, does the Lord just ignore that? Is he blind to that? Well, no, of course he's not. He knows all of your sin, past, present, and future. And he knows all of it has been dealt with at the cross. And so he won't see you in light of that sin anymore. Because it's already been paid for as far as the east is from the west. That is how far God has removed your sin from you. It's gone. So when the father looks at you now, he sees you clothed in the righteousness of his son. And let me just say this. When the father looks at you, he sees you as clothed in all the righteousness of his son. You hear that? All of it. You know, when we talk about sin and we talk about the finished work of the cross, and so often you've heard me say this and encourage you, listen, when we look at the cross, we need to know and we need to learn that Christ has dealt with all of our sin. We say that a lot, don't we? All of our sin, past, present, and future, the small ones and the big ones, he's dealt with it all. There is no sin that is more powerful than the the finished work of the cross. And we hear that and we say that so often. All of our sin has been dealt with at the cross. Well, in the same way, we need to learn that we've been given all of Christ's righteousness. All of it. We are clothed in every aspect of his perfect goodness. And Christian, that means that we don't get to say, well, I'll be compassionate, but I won't be kind. Or I'll, I'll be humble, but I'm not going to forgive that person. If we believe that he's taken all of our sin, then we must also believe he's given us all of his righteousness. And even if we're struggling to live that out, we need to know that just as we learned last week, God sends his spirit to help us continually put our sin to death. He will in the same way by the power of his spirit help us to continually wear the righteousness of his son. So yes, we will struggle to wear these things sometimes but we don't get the option to say yes and no to them. What we do is we come before God and say, I'm struggling here, Lord. I'm struggling to be kind to this person. Would you help me please by the power of your spirit? And if we're struggling to know what the righteousness of Christ looks like, we just need to look at Jesus. Remember, these are his clothes. We look at Jesus, think about compassion here. Think about the times in the Gospels where Jesus looks out at the crowds and he sees them, a sheep without a shepherd, harassed, helpless. And the Gospel writers tell us he has compassion for them. Literally, this, this gut wrenching sensitivity towards them. If you want to know what Christ-like kindness and humility looks like, look to Jesus. We see his meekness in how he approaches others. Just think about just how often he would stoop down and spend time with the kids. Playing with them. Listening to them. Talking to them. Or how often he was found ministering to those in the margins of society. Those who weren't like him. And yet in his meekness, he moved towards them. You see his kindness and humility shown in his patience. Just think about the disciples. Think about how much rope Jesus gives his disciples. Man, they messed up royally, didn't they, all the time. They were rude, they were arrogant, they just confused things all the time. Even after the resurrection, they still get it wrong. But just see how patient the Lord Jesus Christ is with them. 
If you want to know what these Christ-like robes look like, look to Jesus. Look at his life. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. And then in verse 13, we, we get to see what those things look like in practice. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost must forgive. This is another one of those ways that Paul is saying, okay, here's, here's the characteristics, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Here's what it looks like in practice. Bear with each other. Forgive each other. So if someone frustrates you and aggravates you, just answer this in your heart. What is your instinctive reaction? Walk away. Or say it out loud. Yeah, walk away. You can do that. But actually, if we're honest with ourselves, when someone makes a mistake, when someone turns up late, when someone, I don't know, in church, misses the rotor, when they stumble, when they go back to wearing their shabby sin clothes again, when they sin against you, when they take advantage of your kindness, when they waste your time, what is your instinctive reaction towards them? It is in moments like those folks that we need to remember the clothes that we wear. We look at verse 12, we remember the Christ-like clothes and we remember that actually, really it should look like bearing with that person. It should look like me saying, Andy, I forgive you for missing the rotor for setting up this morning, this afternoon. I bear with you in that moment. <laughs> It looks like not holding someone's offences against them. Not holding their mistakes against them. Why? Well, because God doesn't do it with you. And he out of everyone has the right to, but he doesn't. And let me tell you, if you've been in that position before, when someone has let you down, when someone makes a mistake, when you're walking with someone and you see them walking away from sin and then all of a sudden they're back at it again, when you've been in that position before and you feel the Lord saying, bear with them, forgive them, you know that it's hard, isn't it? You know it's hard to bear with people who aggravate you, who frustrate you. Which is why the next item of godly clothing we see in verse 14 is so important. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love pulls all these clothes together. That word bind there, actually, it's the same word that could be used for a brooch or a buckle. Something that pins fabric together. It's holding all of those things together that we've just seen. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Love pulls all of those things together. And so I think the picture so far in what we've read is this. In verse 12, we hear this. You belong to the Father, Christian. You're welcome in his presence, Christian. He loves you, Christian. So verse 12 and 13, put on the clothes of my son. Put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience. But know this. It's hard to wear those clothes when someone frustrates you. It's hard to wear those clothes when someone sins against you. So here, verse 14, put on love. Which, like a pair of braces or a belt around our waist, holds all of those clothes in place and stops them from falling away. Or falling down. Or falling down. Without a heart of love towards those around us, folks, without a heart of love, the Christ like characteristics of verse 12, they become distorted and they become confused. Think about what compassion without love is it's charity. 
Kindness and humility without love, that's just duty. Meekness and patience without love, that's just tolerance. And that isn't what Christ has called us to. Charity, duty, tolerance, yeah, they might be good things, but that isn't what Christ has called us to. That isn't his heart for the world at all. We don't show compassion and kindness because we have to. We don't engage in those things because it's a duty. In fact, that's how the false teachers in Colossae were trying to build out the Christian faith. They were saying, if you want to be in, If you really want to follow Jesus, you have to celebrate this festival. You have to worship the angels. You have to engage in this higher spirituality. That is not the gospel. The new life in Christ is not based on works. It's a motivation of love. Because we're already in. We're already welcome. And when love has its full effect in the community of God's people, we see that the The result is peace. See that in verse 14? Or perfect harmony, as Paul talks about. A Christ-like peace that rules our hearts. When we come up against a disagreement or a dissatisfaction, particularly in this church, in this little bit of the letter, he's talking directly to God's people, by the way. Next week, we're going to blow it out and look at relationships outside of the church, but he's specifically talking about how we engage in, in disagreements or frustrations within the body. And he's saying here that peace, the peace of Christ, is the deciding factor. So think of it like this. Yesterday, um, Saturday is a holy day for, for our nation, isn't it? Up and down the country, thousands of football matches going on, right? And on each of those football matches, there's a, a man running up and down, or a woman, uh, dressed in black with a whistle and a few cards, right? A referee. a referee. Thank you. There we go. And the job of the referee is to look out for, for offences, right? So they'll award the goals, but, but really they're there to, to make sure that the play is, is, is flowing and offences are called out. And if they see something that is out of line, they blow the whistle and they, they issue the consequence for whatever they see. I don't know, a free kick or a throw-in or a yellow card or a a red card. The word that Paul uses here for rule, the peace of Christ ruling in your heart, that word rule has the same connotation as referee. And so think of it like this. When you're wronged, when someone sins against you, when someone frustrates you, when someone aggravates you, Brother and sister, it is like this. There is a referee in your heart that blows the whistle and the only consequence they ever issue is peace. Peace. When someone frustrates you, when someone rubs you up the wrong way, that whistle blows in your heart and despite what you feel, despite wanting to just blurt out anything that that, that comes to you and and pour anger on top of them and pour frustration on top of you when the the peace of Christ is ruling in your heart, the only consequence that is issued is peace. And it doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter how grievous their sin is against you. The rule in your heart is always peace. And folks, that doesn't mean that when we're wronged, we just fall over and let people walk over us. When we sin, peace coming to us can look like forgiveness, where we say it's okay. But it can also look like correction. Sometimes I need, when I'm walking out of line, I need a firm hand on my shoulder or sometimes a rough pull on the, on the scruff of my neck to say, Neil, no, 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 not that way, this way. 
Sometimes I need that correction. Yes, I need forgiveness, but I also need correction. But every time that firm hand comes on my shoulder, it is a hand of peace that comes to me with a motivation of love. Folks, that's the kind of church that we want to be. They are the type of people that we want to be. That is how we want to engage with one another. The peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. And at the start of our passage and at the end of our passage, we are reminded that we become that type of church by setting our minds on Christ and filling our hearts with him. So just look again at verse 12. Look at how it starts. Put on then. Some of your Bibles might say put on therefore. That therefore, that then is telling us this passage doesn't stand alone. It's connected to what's gone before. And if you remember last week, when we talked about this first movement of putting off sin, we said the motivation for putting off sin isn't, isn't self-will, it isn't inner strength. It was looking to Jesus. But actually Paul has taken us back to the start of chapter three. And remember, he encourages us to set our minds on Christ. Remember that? Set your minds on things that are above. Set your mind on Christ. And that is how we put off sin and it is also how we put on Christ. We take the same step. We fill our heads and our hearts with Christ as we want to be people who put on Christ-likeness. And then at the end of our passage, verse 16, we're given specific ways in which we can do that. Specific ways in which we can set our mind on Christ. We're told to teach and admonish one another. That just means to kindly warn someone. Admonish is like if you see someone walking towards danger and you shout across, no, 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 come over here. That's what it means to admonish, to warn someone away from danger. Unless they're dead. Well, okay, so you could wave your hands really loud like that. The same thing. You're warning someone away from danger. They're the specific ways in which we can set our minds and encourage one another to set our minds on Christ. Teach and admonish one another. And the specific ways in which we do that in this passage here in verse 16 are this. Through the word and through song. Two great powerful ways in which we can encourage one another to set our minds on Christ so that we would put on his righteous robes, so we would walk in Christ's likeness. Through the word, verse 16, and through song. So verse 16 there, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly, like there is a depth to that, isn't there? There's a significance to that. Paul's saying, surround yourself in the gospel Make it your home, stock your life full of the gospel. If you want to be someone who wears Christ's likeness, who defaults not to anger but to peace, set your mind on Christ and do that by soaking yourself in the word. Point yourself to Jesus in the gospel and secondly in song. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I love this because I love singing and we love singing. We can point each other to Jesus. We can help each other set our mind on the Lord Jesus Christ in song. Like we don't just sing, folks, because it's a nice thing to do. Our singing is a key part of how we teach one another. You ever thought of it like that? The words that come up on the screen, the the things that we sing, this is a powerful way in which we teach and admonish one another. That's why singing is an integral part of, of our gathering. Remember during lockdown? How rubbish that was that we couldn't sing. Oh, when we stood there behind masks, murmuring something away, some of us were a bit naughty, I know. <laughs> Going for it, but that was rubbish. You know why? Because of this. Because singing points us to Jesus. 
Singing fills our hearts with the beauty of Jesus. It reminds us of who we are without him. It reminds us of who we are with him. It sets our affections on him. It grounds us deeply in the finished work of the cross. It admonishes one another. It warns, it teaches, it helps us to set our minds on things above. At the right hand of the Father where Christ is seated. That's why we love to sing. And unlike going to Goodison, unlike going to Prenton Park, and unfortunately at the moment, unlike going to Anfield, our song carries on because we're always winning. We never lose in Christ. He's already won. Our song is a song of victory. And so can I encourage you when you come in at the start of a Sunday or when I sit down or whoever's preaching sits down and we sing, sing with all that you have got because we are singing truth. And we're not just singing for each other. We're singing for ourselves as well. We need to hear this. So sing loud for your brothers and sisters and sing loud for yourself because you need to teach yourself the gospel. You need to admonish yourself with the gospel. Because the moment we step out of those doors, the whispers begin. The accusations begin. I like match days. I go outside and you can hear them singing. Well, there's power in it. Isn't there power in singing? That's the whole thing, isn't it? It's a powerful thing. And that's why when we go to the match, actually you get sucked into it. Don't you? You get absorbed into it. But our singing takes things to another level. So I can encourage you, brothers and sisters, when you sing, sing with conviction. Sing with passion. Sing with joy. And we see it here three times. Sing with thankfulness. Three times Paul encourages us to be thankful. You are being fed and shaped and shown the love of God in Christ. So be thankful when you sing. Do you know what it looks like to be thankful? It looks like smiling. It looks like probably not what a lot of us look like when we sing. If we're truly thankful about what we're singing, if we're truly thankful for who we're singing about, then just show it. Show it when you sing. Allow your body and allow your face to reflect how grateful you are for the truths that you are singing and you are hearing. And let me land here in verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And thanks to God the Father through him. I want us to hear this as we finish. These godly clothes that we wear, this Christ-likeness that we're called to wear, These clothes carry weight. See, when we do something in someone else's name, which is what Paul is saying, we're representing them. And we're empowered by them to go and do whatever they've told us to do. When we wear these Christ-like clothes in our homes, in our workplaces, at the coffee shop, in our bedrooms, no... Beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that lovely? That's God singing. Well, it's his creation. It's beautiful. See that? Well, listen to that. Even creation sings, right? Even the birds are thankful for him, aren't they? Yeah. And what an example that is to us. Do you know what, folks? We can laugh at that. I love that. Thank you, mate. What a blessing that is. What a challenge that song thrush is to us, right? And we hear it, even the rocks will cry out to him. Folks, come on. It's a rock. It's a bird. Think of all that has been revealed to us in the gospel. Let's sing and be thankful. 
Let's know that the clothes that we are wearing, they carry weight. We are representing Christ as we go into those spaces. So feel the weight. Represent him well. Know that as you are wearing his clothes, you're reflecting his righteousness. And know that as you do that, that shines bright. In a world of sin and a world of darkness. So brothers and sisters, this week, teach yourself Christ. Teach one another Christ through word and song. Take off your old sinful clothes and wear the clothes that fit you. Fit you perfectly. The righteous clothes of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us so much to sing about. Thank you for this beautiful song outside of these doors and how creation worships you just instinctively. How that we'd be more like that. Remove our pride. Remove our stubbornness. We ask you again to put sin to death in our lives so that we can see your son for more of who he is and instinctively sing and praise and worship him. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the example that we have in you what it looks like to be compassionate, to be kind, to be humble, to be meek, to be patient. What it looks like to bear with one another and to forgive each other. What it looks like to walk in love. (coughs) Help us to live like you. And we know that we're going to struggle. We know that we're going to stumble this week and we're going to run back to those old clothes and try and put them on. But help us to remember they don't fit us anymore. That's not who we are. So help us by the power of the Spirit to set our hearts and our minds on you, to look to you this week, to soak ourselves in the gospel, to know what it is to see the power of singing, to remind ourselves of the beauty and the truth of the gospel. Help us to teach ourselves and teach one another, to admonish ourselves and admonish one another this week with the goal of being a people who are more like you. Not because we have to, not because it's our duty, but because we get to, because of the love that you've already shown us. Thank you, Father, that we are your chosen ones. Thank you that you have made us holy. Thank you, Father, that you love us. Help us to respond now rightly as we sing together. Help us to look to the cross and see the power and defeat in our sin, but also in making us righteous and helping us to be the people you've called us to be. We ask this, Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen.